Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, Andrew this morning took us through some of the account of that particular day. Palm Sunday is probably something that's neglected very much, the account of it, and yet it's one of the most wonderful prophecies in Scripture. I'm not going to speak on it tonight. If you go back to uh, Zechariah, you go back to the book of Daniel, uh, the Scripture in the Old Testament actually tells you not just roughly when the Lord would present himself to his people, but it pins it down to the very day. In fact, I think of all the prophecies in Scripture, that is the most focused So, for example, we know the Lord's coming back again. We've got many prophecies of that. We've got many prophecies of the Lord coming the first time. It never gave you an actual date. But for Palm Sunday, it actually nails it down to a very date. In many ways, it was a day of humility. Mother Andrew kind of underlined that this morning and compared it with the coronation of the coming king. Uh, We won't see Charles III on a donkey. Uh, It was a day of humility. And uh, what I really want to point out tonight is that the man on the donkey was in fact the creator of the heaven of the earth. He was more than what they saw. Some recognised him as Messiah because they wanted to get rid of the Roman Empire in in the sense that the Romans were on the end of every street. Uh, They were under domination and they wanted the Lord to deliver them from that. They knew their Old Testament, they knew the Messiah was coming, and here was a group of people who, all of a sudden realising this could be the Messiah. But few recognised him as the infinite God. And that's really what I want to leave with you tonight. Even today, few recognise Christ for who he really is. I was reading this afternoon, I can't, I don't know which it is, but there was a one, in one particular denomination, uh, ministers were um, surveyed, and 300 of them said they don't believe in God. Now, I mean, that's just absolutely crazy, but that's, that's where we are today. Let alone believing that Christ did these things, let alone believing who he really was. And that's the difference. If Jesus is only a man, then this becomes totally irrelevant. Now I want to lay before you tonight one particular attribute that uh, I don't think we very often hear preached on and and I've only just picked up on this uh, in in the last few weeks and it's mentioned in the psalm that we read and it's been mentioned in the three hymns that we've sung and uh, it's something that I find quite difficult to get my head round and yet I quite like things I can't quite get my head round because it kind of takes your thinking to the edge of what you can think, and I I think that's quite good for us. And because it's something that God has put in the Word of God, so he says, I want you to know this. That's why I've I've had this written down. And it comes from verse 5 of the psalm. It says, Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. The infinite God. Infinite God. And, you know, I believe if we rightly understand that, it actually brings us to, um, to impact on the way we think and do stuff. It's not just an academic exercise. When we really understand who God is, and I'm only looking at kind of one kind of area, aren't I? But when we really get to grips with this, this enables us to understand many things. So I wanted to try and think of this tonight. Uh, you might say, well, what, what does it mean that God is infinite? 
Well, just simply before we get much further, the Hebrew word there for infinite is in fact two words, en mispar. En means no, and mispar means number. In other words, what the scripture's saying there is God's understanding is without number. It's beyond our comprehension. It's infinite. You, you, can't find, you can't find a number for it. It's without number. I think if you're doing mathematics, you do a, a figure eight on its side. I think that means infinity. And that's what God is. In his understanding, it's infinity. He understands everything, but then we don't know everything. He understands his everything, which is everything. We just don't know what that is. And that's when I say it kind of takes us to the edge of our thinking. So I want to consider this tonight under three headings. First of all, why is this an important issue? Why is it there? Because you'll just switch off if you don't realise it's, it's something worth listening to. Secondly, I want us to see what it actually means in Scripture, that God is infinite. And then thirdly, I want us to see what's it mean to me tomorrow morning? Because it's, you know, it's nice to know these things, but I need to know what I'm going to do with this information uh, in my daily life. So first of all, then, why is it important? Isn't this something simply to tickle my brain, as it were? Well, put simply, such information from God about himself, as I say, does affect everything we do and think. And I suppose, too, if we've come prayerfully tonight, we can say, this is what God wants me to know tonight. For whatever reason, and we'll have different reasons, some people may feel rather frail and, and, and weak and, and, and not feeling very strong at the moment, and they can come to this and say, that's my God. That's where my strength lies. Others may come and say, I, I don't really know this God. This is the God who's available, as it were. This is the one who came into the world to save sinners. And the wonderful thing is, he'll save sinners tonight. So there's lots of things that fall from this. You know, the internet reveals a lot of sermons preached on contemporary issues. And that's quite right. We want contemporary issues. We need to know about various things that are going on in the world and how they relate back to Scripture. But things are very different to what they were years ago. Even when I was young, and I'm not that old, when I was young, most Christians would hear three sermons on a Sunday. Some were two, some were three. Church that I was at, you'd hear three sermons. In the morning, you'd hear something devotional. In the afternoon, you'd hear some teaching-type ministry. And in the evening, you'd hear the gospel. You go back on Tuesday, because that's a prayer meeting, you'd hear a word then. And at a fellowship meeting on Friday, so you'd get five sermons. And those sermons pretty much were determined by... The ministers or the pastor, they would say, well, what does the congregation need today? Where are we in, in the, the kind of progress of the church and what's happening in the world? And so, as it were, the food would be served up according to what the need was. And if we're honest today, a lot of Christians only get one out of five. Come on a Sunday morning and that might be it. Uh, some come back on a Sunday night. We know we have Tuesday, so we might get three in, as it were. But if you look at the internet and study what people are listening to, those sermons that you get, as it were, here are determined by Pastor Richard and whoever's preaching here as what the Lord wants us to hear. When you go on the internet, you find people there are, you know, what's going to take my interest today? In other words, we choose the sermons, we choose the subject, rather perhaps than the Lord choosing it for us. Now, that's not to say the Lord can't guide us to the right sermon. I think the point I'm making is when people are given a free choice statistically it looks as if they choose for things that they want to hear rather than perhaps what God has served up for them. 
And a point I want to make here is that when we preach on God, the Father, Son or Holy Spirit, if we understand him correctly, those contemporary issues actually fall out of that. Because when we realise the greatness and holiness of God, we begin to learn the awfulness of sin and, and, and so on. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that a personal knowledge of God is the secret of our spiritual life. The knowledge of God is our safeguard against error. Our knowledge of God is a safeguard against sin. Christ himself said this, this is eternal life, that we might know thee. He was talking to God the Father. That we might know thee. This is eternal life, to know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Tozer, interesting character, read his books, they're worth reading. He said, worship is pure or base as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the greatest question before the church is always, always God himself. The most important thing a person has is their understanding of God. Everything else, as it were, drops down from that. What have we ever thought about that? The most important thing we have is our understanding of God. And when we say that, we mean our understanding of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it is an important issue to know about God, and we're talking about his infinity here, that God is infinite. It's important for our worship, and worship is the prime activity of the Christian, that we might worship him aright. It's important also because I suppose the church at large, if we like, has downgraded God. I suppose we can't downgrade him any more than saying they don't believe in him. But generally speaking, there is a, a downgrading, isn't there? And uh, many have encouraged us to think of God as one of us. We say, well, that, that's true, he became one of us. You see, his one of usness, if you like, is true in the sense that he came in human flesh. But there is a danger of leaving it there and thinking only of his humanity. The psalmist says in Psalm 50, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself. In other words, he was saying, You thought I was one of you. I was like you. But in fact, he says in Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, yes, we're made in the image of God, but God is not made in our image. When we consider God, he is infinitely above all that we can know or think. And I suppose this issue is also important because God has revealed these things as something he wants us to know. God hasn't put in this book things he wants us to know and a few things that uh, he tells us, but he doesn't actually enable us to understand them at all. Everything in this book is for us to have an understanding of him because it's something he wants us to know. And I think in many ways this particular revelation that God is infinite it is like an umbrella attribute where other things hang from it. And we'll see more of that perhaps in a moment. And I think that hymn that I read a few moments ago, 
knowing more of God's revelations about himself, will not only tune our heart to say, I wish I'd given him more, but will actually motivate us to actually give him more. Because the hymn in one sense is a hymn that will be sung in later life. And we say, as I look back over my life, I wish I'd given him more. No one will arrive at the gates of heaven as a Christian and say, yeah, I wish I'd prayed less. No one will arrive there at the gates of heaven and say, I wish I'd read the Bible less. I wish I'd served him less. I wish I'd not gone to worship so much. Everyone will wish they'd given him more. And and thoughts of realising who God is should motivate us to give him more at the moment rather than just wish we had. So I'll leave it there for a moment in the sense of this is an important issue. Let's move on. Secondly, what does it mean then that God is infinite? Well, I said a few moments ago it means without number or without measure. God is such that he has no limitations within his nature. And it could be said, and I expect it has been said by someone, that in its strictest sense, the word infinite can only belong to God. What else is there that is infinite, that is without number? I had a quick glance at uh, advertising. Advertising companies that use this word. And uh, you can get an infinite car. The cars I've had, they don't last that long, do they? Uh, But you see, it's a word they use because they want you to think this is going to last a long time. This is the ultimate in luxury, etc. You can get a computer that has the same name. And you can get a trampoline. Anyone wants an infinity trampoline, but there you are. How any of these things can last long, let alone bear their name, is, is beyond me. But we know what they're trying to say. But you see, the word is devalued, isn't it, in its concept in the minds of people. We think of something infinite that's going to last a long time. It's going to last a bit longer than the norm. And we have to be careful not to measure God against what we usually know. So, for example, if I say to you, how long is that bit of string? Um, You will say, well, uh, it's got a beginning, it's got an end. And I'm saying, no, it's infinite. But the string's infinite. You say, well, I don't understand that. I mean, it has no, no beginning, it has no ending. How can a bit of string be like that? You say, well, I can't understand that. No, that's a concept of God, that he has no beginning, he has no ending, and, and all his attributes are infinite. His holiness we cannot understand because it's on a different level to our own. God is not like that bit of string that has a beginning and an end. You know, in some ways, our minds cannot fully understand the infinity of God. But there are many things we can't fully understand about God. But he tells us in Scripture as much as we can understand. Or he describes it to the best of our understanding. And I think that's what we have here. Another example would be the glory of God. How can you describe the glory of God? One of the chiefest reference, or clearest reference rather, to the glory of God is what Ezekiel saw. But he could not see the fullness of it. And he he describes it like this in Ezekiel, I think it's chapter 1. He says, what I saw when I saw the, the glory of God, it was in the likeness of a throne. It had the appearance of a sapphire stone. That, that was the best description he could give. And finally, he says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. 
And so when we're talking about God being infinite, we're saying, well, this is the nearest we can get to our understanding of it. We have a likeness, the best we can understand. But something quite kind of mind-blowing here is that one day when we get to glory, we will have a greater understanding. The veil will be lifted. We will have a fuller understanding of the triune God. One hymn says, only faintly now I see him with the darkling veil between. But a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Face to face, O blissful moment, face to face to see and know. Face to face with my Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who loves me so. Let me take you back to the verse for a moment, verse 5 of the psalm. Great is the Lord and of great power, his understanding is infinite. There are three words there that we can uh, align to God being infinite. First of all, he says there that the Lord is greatly to be praised. The Lord is great. His greatness is infinite. The Hebrew word here for great has been translated abundant elsewhere. It's the same root word we find in Isaiah where it says, God will abundantly pardon. When God pardons us, he doesn't say, well, I'll I'll just about forgive you. He says he, he abundantly pardons us. And when we're thinking this morning around the communion table, we can see his blood, it's shed and will cover the greatest of sins. It doesn't just cover little sins. The hymn says, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross and we bear it no more. There's more than enough, as it were, for our condition. God's greatness is without number. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 25 says, To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal to? Well, we cannot. He's not equal to anything. He says, Lift up your eyes on high and behold, who's created these things? Who brings out their hosts by number? He calls them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Referring there to the stars and the heavens above, And we read in our psalm here that the Lord brings out the stars and he he counts them. Verse 4, he telleth or counts the number of the stars and he calls them all by their names. Astronomers tell us they don't know how many stars there are. There are billions of them. God says, I know. And they've all got names. A wonderful thing. Use as much as we can understand. His greatness. We sing, don't we? Great is thy faithfulness. But it can be said that everything about God is great. His greatness is without measure. But his power, it says in that verse there, of his great power, that's what it's referring to. His power is infinite. To say there is nothing that God can't do, as it were, limits his power. His infinite power means there are some things he can't do. He can't unforgive forgiven sin. He can't unsave his people. His power is particularly seen in salvation, isn't it? A a work for which there is great opposition. His power came and overcame sin, overcome death, overcome the devil, all through his shed blood. And that's why we sing sometimes, there is power in the precious blood 
of Jesus Christ. There is power to save the greatest sinner. And in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit uses the word exceeding to mirror that infinite. Ephesians 1.19 And what is the exceeding, the abundant, the, the greatness, he says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, Lord? No wonderful thing. The, the infinite God, with his infinite power, as it were, lasers his power upon his people. It is to us, Lord. Again in Ephesians, the next chapter, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. In other words, all the power and riches, anything we know of God, they are without number. He created the world by the word of his power. Can't he answer your little prayer then? He parted the Red Sea, he fed over 5,000, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. And one day the same power that rose Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal bodies. But that verse says his understanding is infinite. We mustn't compare God's understanding with ours. Even the greatest computer is amazing what can be done, isn't it? God understands all things because he is the cause of all things. John reminds us in his gospel, in the beginning was the word. word there in the, the Greek is logos. We, we get the word logic, the reasoning behind all things. And it became flesh. God understands every process of the universe. And things that humanity spend billions of pounds on as they look into space, God could say, I know that, I put it there. I know that. And when it comes to us on earth, we think of the big things. God created all of those things. And then he says in Ezekiel 11, I know the things that come into your mind. Every one of them. Isn't that amazing? God who built this, uh, created the stars without number as far as we're concerned says, but I know everything that comes into your mind. And he even underlines it by saying, every one of them. God is infinite, isn't he, in all his attributes. We haven't got time to go through them all tonight. There was a preacher once who said he was going to preach on the attributes of God. So he said, are you going to preach on all of them? He said, no, I don't know all of them. And that's true. We don't know all the attributes of God. We only know those that are revealed in Scripture. God is infinite in his presence. You know, there's the James Webb Space Telescope, isn't it, travelling billions of miles. I was fascinated. I enjoy reading about it. I enjoy looking at the, the pictures that it sends back, etc., but it's a wonderful thing, you know, if I can say this reverently, that as it goes billions and billions of miles into space, God's already waiting for it. God's already there. And yet he's here. Isn't it a wonderful thing? God is so great. He's there, but he's also here with his people. 2 Kings 8, Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. We can't take that in. God is so infinite that all the space that there is, God is there. God is there. We struggle to think of people being in two places at once, let alone everywhere at once, but that's where God is. Where God is. Some will say, well, how is it that God says in various places he will presence himself with us if he's already there? There are two things there. Firstly, it simply confirms that God is infinite because 
he will and does presence himself with us. But he does that to all the people, all his people around the world. We, we're seeing pictures this morning of Ukraine. And uh, you look along the front page, you see pictures all of different places around the world. God is there with them as he is here with us. But there's also a way in which God is everywhere present, yet manifests his presence in a particular closeness at times. And you know that in your prayer times. You can pray sometimes and you think, well, I've said my prayers this morning, I've had my quiet time, and another time the word of God really hits you and you think, I, I know something of the presence of God. We might just be still and know that he is God. There is a difference, isn't there? The hymn writer says, present we know thou art, but oh, thyself reveal. What about God's authority? That's infinite, isn't it? Humanity thinks we're in control and uh, humanity thinks, well, we've thrown off restraint, we've got rid of the God bits and pieces in our society, I'm the captain of my ship, I'll get rid of babies before they're born and euthanasia seems a good idea. This is what God says to those who resist his will. O oh man, who art thou that disputes with God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay? People think it a nonsense that a vase or a pot would speak to the potter. And that is what humanity does to God. Makes it even more of a nonsense. John MacArthur says he is sometimes asked the question, why did God do that? And his reply has often been, because he wanted to. When people say that isn't a sufficient answer, it's because they don't understand God. God may do what he wants, and he'll do what he wants within his own nature. Whatever is consistent with his nature. So there's a little bit about what it means that God is infinite. But thirdly, lastly, what does God's, God being infinite mean to my daily life? And this is really our application this evening. Much of what we learn and know about God is seen in you and me, if you're a Christian. Because we read in scripture that when we become a Christian, we are partakers of the divine nature. It doesn't mean we become like God, but it means we are now sons and daughters of the living God. We should begin to resemble something of the nature of God. We've been born again. We bear the marks of a Christian. So a Christian prays, a Christian worships, a Christian has fellowship with other Christians, a Christian bears the fruit of the Spirit. And what we know of God feeds into that so the more we know of God we should have a, a more productive prayer life we should be motivated more to serve the Lord we should bear more fruit In the words of the hymn that I read so much more let's just think for a moment then because God is infinite God when you say oh I don't understand God does and that helps doesn't it doesn't that, you know, situation comes like, I don't understand that. But you can say, Lord, you understand it, and I can tell you about that, and you can help me in that situation. When reason fails, 
Let faith take hold, not a vague faith, but faith in God, because he does understand. He is the infinite God. There is one who knows all it is. Now, those of you who've got computers, you want to know something. When I was a kid, you'd go to a book, didn't you? And uh, you envied the kid up the street who had got Encyclopedia Britannica. And you thought, it oh, must be great to have all that knowledge there. Um, and I can remember uh, when I was uh, having my homework, if I couldn't do it, I knew my friend could. And he lived next door. And the trouble was he moved. <laughs> and he moved about five miles away. And when I couldn't do my homework, I still knew he knew. And I'd get on my bike and I'd cycle those five miles, even if it was raining, because I wanted to know the answer. Now you go to Google, and within a couple of minutes you can find the answer to almost anything. But not everything. My friends, you've got something greater than Google. We go to the infinite knowledge. God who knows absolutely everything. And you can go to him. And not only does he know everything, you know, Google doesn't understand you, does it? It just gives you some bland answer. And you can get artificial intelligence now. I was reading an article in the newspaper the other day about someone who had written something on on artificial intelligence. It it made so much sense. And at the end of the article it says, and this article is an artificial intelligence answer to that particular article. So no one had written any of it. And yet it all made perfect sense. My friends, when you come to God, the infinite God, he understands. He, He not only understands as it were, the factual things. He understands your heart. He understands how you feel. So when you say, oh, I don't understand, knowing God is infinite, just go to him and know, Lord, you know all about this. My friends, when you feel lonely, know that God is there. Know that God is there. And those you miss, God is with them. And you'll be reunited one day. And when you pray, He's listening to your prayer. And he's listening to all those who lift up their cries unto him. And the resources you're trying to draw on are infinite. I went to contact the bank the other day about some resources. I was an hour and a quarter on the phone. Got nowhere. Had to go to the branch for resources. And when I got there, resources will only be what it says on the statement. No more. My friend... Our God should supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Infinite resources. Resources that have no limit. What did the Lord say? Jeremiah 33, call unto me, I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. My friends, we come to pray, we pray for big things. And God is saying, yeah, I can do bigger than that. I can do bigger than you can even know. So when you say you don't understand, God understands. When you feel lonely, God is there, the infinite God. When you pray, you have all the resources, the infinite resources of an infinite God. And when you're in a trial, when you're in a difficulty, God is there. You know, when we have a, an earthly problem, we call someone who knows about the issue. Plumber, electrician, builder, etc. When we're perplexed about something, no matter what it is, God is there. And he is the expert in everything, every issue, every trial. He knows all about it. What about when you sin? 
when we thought we didn't want to think, when we did what we didn't want to do, when we read what we didn't want to read, what we saw, what we didn't want to see, etc. God is there. You say, well, that's not quite such good news, is it? One has said, you might as well crawl up to the foot of the throne of God and commit that sin, because God is right beside you. Well, let's take that a bit further. When you think your sin is beyond God's forgiveness, remember his love is infinite. His mercy for dying sinners is infinite. How do we know God's love is infinite? As are the riches of his grace. How do we know? Well, John 3.16, we read of God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What more could he give? That's boundless love. That's what we sung. A love that has no measure known unto man. Christ prayed that we might know that he loves his people as the Father hath loved him. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God prayed that, that we might know that he loves us as God the Father loved God the Son. Now the Little phrase says he saves to the uttermost. It doesn't matter how much sin we've committed. Again, it says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I've got a quote of the verse here. I think we sang it this morning, something very similar. My friends, when we think of all of these things, the infinite God, this is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, whose love is as great as his power and neither knows measure nor end. Final little thought here then. Do not such thoughts help us in the assurance of our faith? That this is our God whose infinite power and authority and love and mercy is showered upon us. It's clearly shown in the dying, he's dying on the cross, in his rising again. What assurance we've got. We've got the assurance of the word of God. We've got the assurance of his life. We've got the assurance of his shed blood. We've got the assurance of his resurrection and his promise of coming again. Promise that if we believe in him, we will be forgiven. And my friends tonight, whether we're here or whether we're listening online, if you've yet to come to repentance and faith, seek him today. He knows your thoughts, he knows your doubts, he knows your fears, he knows your sin. The scripture says, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Paul writes under the hand of God the Holy Spirit, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What more do we want? My friend, there isn't any more. We have all things in an infinite God. A man riding on a donkey was the infinite God. So there we have it. It's an important issue. See what it means. See how it affects our daily life. Our infinite God is the one who came in flesh to save us, cares for us moment by moment, and one day will take us into his infinite land where we shall see the king in all his infinite glory. May the Lord bless it.